Oh, we're so happy to have you back. I'm Mark. And I'm Charity. And this is Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. Now, I don't know about you, but our minds never shut off. Charity and I are what you would call overthinkers. Did we really land on the moon? What was with Jim Jones and his Kool-Aid? Do Bigfoots really exist? What's really happening at Area 51? So what's the deal with the grassy knoll? How did Whitey Bulger hide in plain sight for 16 years? No matter what the subject, we find ourselves constantly asking who, what, or why. And we don't stop until we figure it out. So we ask you to join us on this discovery to find the truths behind all of your favorite mysteries, conspiracy theories, or whatever else has left you aimlessly scrolling Wikipedia at 3 a.m. This is Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. All right, guys, we're here. Episode number two. Number two. Mark, I'm going to be talking about some things in this episode. Okay. More than one thing. I was hoping you'd be talking about some things. Otherwise, it'd be a very short, boring episode. Some things. So in our first episode, when we talked about the whole Poltergeist trilogy, is it cursed? Is it not? We talked about some of the unfortunate deaths that happened. Yes. So one of the deaths was Dominique Dunn. Do you remember me talking about that? I she do. Was, she was murdered by her boyfriend. I do. Well, I wanted to like look into that and find out exactly what happened so that we can discuss it a little bit. Because Oh, you did that already? I did. Because I'm excited. He, just, he, he served such little jail time that I needed to find out what the heck happened in that respect. There was a lot of questions left on that. I agree. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's go. Dominique was born in Santa Monica, California on November 23rd, 1959. She was born to Dominic Dunn, a popular novelist, screenwriter, and producer. She was the baby of the family, but would soon become involved in the business just like other family members. She had aunts and uncles in the business, and her oldest brother was a well-known actor, producer, and screenwriter as well. As a teenager, she would find herself in New York for a bit, but would move back to Beverly Hills to graduate from high school. This move happened because her parents unfortunately divorced, so she moved with one of them a little bit and came back. Dominique decided she was going to concentrate on becoming an actress. She was actually doing very well for herself, landing spots in many popular TV shows and a few movies before she landed her role on Poltergeist. I think we all remember that. Would you like me to talk about it again, Mark? No, I think they can just scroll back and listen to the other one. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. Dominique would meet John Sweeney at a party in 1981. John was a sous chef at a popular celebrity restaurant, so she must have been there with another celebrity or some celebrities and somehow she met him. Okay. Only after a few weeks of dating, the couple would move in together and live in West Hollywood. So this was kind of quick. They were excited. They were young. They met each other. You look back, she was a beautiful girl. He was handsome. Hollywood is not the regular dating scene, though. It's it's not. Everything's fast forward. It is. It's you, you live in the moment and you move. The exciting feel of new love would quickly leave as John's true self started coming through. How many times we've heard this stuff? Way too many. Exactly. It was said that he was extremely abusive, both physically and mentally. He wouldn't even care to hide his actions in front of others. So he was so pompous that he just, you know, I'm going to treat you like crap in front of whomever. I really don't care. You shouldn't treat anybody like crap, but especially don't treat him like crap in front of people, too. Exactly. Dominique would finally get the courage and break things off. John was not on board with this decision. 
October 30th, 1982, John would arrive to Dominique's home where she was busy rehearsing some lines with a fellow male actor in a new series she was in. So I don't know if that might have fueled his fire a little bit. Maybe his jealousy. He saw her there with another man. She It was innocent. She was just rehearsing lines, but he was not happy. Yeah. And when you're a man and you see something like that, and this is not making excuses up for anything. No. But your mind instantly jumps to, and it, it will make it seem like, oh, everything I suspected, is this right. is it. I mean, it's very scumbaggery scum- attitudes. I love scumbaggery. And unfortunately, as a male, I, I've done it. I think we all have. We've all jumped to conclusions. Like but that. females too. I mean, we do too. It's it's on both ends. Okay. An argument would ensue between the two. John pleading for Dominique to let him move back in. She stood her ground and told him that was not an option. The argument would continue to escalate and they would find themselves in the driveway. Oh boy. John would grab her by the throat and squeeze until she fell to the ground lifeless. When police arrived, listen to this, Mark. John would yell out, quote unquote, I killed my girlfriend. But actually, she wasn't dead yet. Okay. She was unconscious when she was brought to the hospital. She would spend five full days in a coma. And at just 22 years old on November 4th, 1982... It was likely that Dominique's family would make the heartbreaking decision to pull the plug. As it was reported, her heart would stop beating at 11 a.m. That really makes you put life into perspective as if that was you in that situation, what would you do? Like, it's very hard. And if I was in that situation, like, I know, like, if I was on life support, I wouldn't want to live like that. I'm the same way. I wouldn't want my family members and loved ones having to see me like that when if there's no chance. So I assume and they didn't say the family pulled the plug. It was kept private, but it was assumed because her, they just said her heart stopped beating and she was in a coma. So I think they were probably told, listen, there has been no brain yeah. activity for all this all this time. And there's no chance she's going to come out of this. Even knowing like that's my wishes, I could imagine that it would make my family members feel absolutely horrible to have to make those decisions as well though yeah nobody nobody should have to do that let's uh let's get into john's trial so during the trial much information would be revealed it was said that he tried to strangle her once before while he was living with her she kicked him out and changed the locks so she actually kicked his ass out when he tried to kill her before smart woman and it was so strong felt so strongly about it that she changed all of her locks but clearly and we hear this all the time he weaseled his way back in A letter to John from Dominique was read out loud in the courtroom. This is what it said. The whole thing has made me realize how scared I am of you. And I don't just mean physically. I'm afraid of the next time you are going to have another mood swing. So he must have just called them his mood swings. Oh, I'm just having one of my mood swings. Yeah. Where I tried to kill you. Here, I'm a scumbag. Let me be a scumbag. Right. Instead of getting help for my quote unquote mood swings so I don't injure you, I'll just carry on and just go about my business. Yeah. Great thinking, buddy. Mark, the jury wasn't allowed to hear testimony from another ex-girlfriend of John's. During their relationship, she sustained a broken nose and a collapsed lung. And I don't know why they were not allowed to hear this testimony, because to me, it pertained to the case. Oh, I agree with you 100%. It does. But I think that goes into like prior acts. I don't think you can get into that in some cases. And being in California, they are very, very, very stringent on what comes in and what does not. And I don't know if he served any time or anything from that other case or if it even was another case. Yeah. Who knows if it was adjudicated or not? Very true. John was only sentenced to involuntary manslaughter. That I find... Absolutely outrageous. How? You involuntarily jumped on top of her and strangled her to death. He was only sentenced to a maximum prison term of six and a half years for murder. Yeah. Say that again. Six and a half years, people. For murder. 
It is absolutely appalling to me that you serve more time for stealing something from a store than you do for murdering somebody. I have no idea how that happened. The judge on the case was actually said to be angry and told John in the courtroom that he thought he should have been convicted of murder. I do too. I do too, but it's out of the judge's hands. It is. Because the jury, that was their ruling. He would only spend a little under four years in jail and was released in June 1986. Again, he murdered somebody with his bare hands. Murdered. That is absolutely amazing to me. This massive asshat cowardly changed his name to John Mara and went into hiding. Here's a couple questions for you. Okay. Were the jurors bribed or paid off? You never know. Or was there lack of physical evidence? How does something like this happen? I mean, I don't get how there could be a lack of evidence. He jumped on top of her and strangled her. I mean, that's all the evidence you need. This beautiful girl is now no longer with us. Hello, evidence right there. You did it. How does someone go on living a full life after murdering someone with their bare hands and admitting it while arrested? Remember he said, I murdered my girlfriend? Yeah. Just because she wasn't actually dead at that point, you admitted that you were the one who put your hands on her to police officers. How? There had to have been something going on. You can't tell me there's not. This to me is like a black and white case, right? You would think it is. It's clear that he murdered her. I agree with you, Charity. This is unacceptable. So that's really all I could find on it. I did recently read he had been in hiding, but his whereabouts are now known, I guess. Well, I know what I will be Googling later after the show. I will definitely be trying to figure out where he is hiding. I'm going to be really angry if he has like a full, beautiful family, a career, and went on to do lovely things in life. That will make me very angry. Oh, the whole thing makes me angry. He ended somebody's life and is still outliving his while she cannot. Yep. It's unacceptable. It sure is. So anyways, I hope that gave a little insight, guys, into the situation we read about the last one. All right, Charity. Well, thank you for looking into that for us. And now, what do you have for us today? Mark, I have the most bizarre, let's call it a story, but it's real, that I'm going to tell you. When you say something's bizarre, now you have my attention because I know what makes you excited. So this is great. I personally found it to be bizarre. So just think about that for a second. All right, guys, we're in for a doozy. I can already tell. We sure are. So introducing Carl Tanzler, born in Dresden, Germany, on February 8th, 1877. His given name was George Carl Tanzler. This would change a bit when he would eventually get his American citizenship. On the official documents, he would change it to Carl Tanzler von Kossel. Although on his own death certificate, it is simply listed as Carl Tanzler. There isn't much information to be found about his parents, but it is known that he had one sister. From the information I read, there was really nothing that stood out during his childhood. He seemed like a normal boy during that time. As he got older, he would make it known that a dead relative visited him, and this relative was Anna Constantia von Kossel. He claimed, Mark, that she showed him the face of his one true love, a beautiful girl with shiny jet black hair. Okay. Uh-huh. Keep that in mind. Uh, it's in my mind now. It's hard to get out. Guys, guys, keep that in your mind. Carl apparently had a very enthusiastic personality and could impress many with just the way he spoke. Just like you, Mark. Just like you. You and Carl are very similar, but you're not. because you're, you're freaking like- me out here now. <laughs> let's, let's hold off on saying I'm like this dude only, until I know what he did. The only thing that they have in common is the enthusiastic personality. Okay. Yeah. He even made some think that he had nine advanced degrees. This, of course, was not true. He enjoyed traveling very much, and during this time, he would travel to Australia, India, and South Seas, among other places. He also had a bunch of jobs, some which included boat building and engineering. When World War I began, Carl was in Australia visiting. Because he was a German citizen, the government would force him into a concentration camp. So that Australian government decided he was kind of a criminal. 
Okay. At the time, international law stated that he wouldn't be allowed to return to his home country. When the war ended, the prisoner was sent to the Netherlands to a clearinghouse. So I tried to read up on like what a clearinghouse meant back then, but I just think it's like a place where they kind of sit and wait until they're allowed to go home. Okay. Prisoners. That makes sense. Yeah. Even though he's he wasn't really a prisoner, he just was because he wasn't from that country. Carl would marry a woman named Doris Schaefer. This was around the year 1921. He would be in his 40s at this time. The couple would have a daughter in 1922 named Aisha Tansler. Then in 1924, they would welcome a second daughter and name her Crystal Tansler. Sadly, Crystal would die at the age of 10 due to theria. It was said that the marriage wasn't a great one, mostly because Carl was always traveling and never home. He would travel to Cuba in 1926 alone, leaving his family behind, as he often did. Clearly not a family man, Mark. No. More sounds like he just wants to do his own thing. But that said, from Cuba, he would make his way to the United States. He would then actually send for his family and set up home in Zephyr Hills, Florida. I guess this is also where his sister immigrated before him. So that's how he kind of went there, I think, because he knew of it because his sister yeah, went there. Makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. So although within a year, he would leave his family and settle down by himself in Key West, Florida. So that didn't last very long. He did no. bring his family along, but... He was eventually like, peace, I don't want to be a family man. Now, having set up home in Key West, Carl would get a job at a U.S. Marine hospital. He would work as a radiological technician. It was said that he was a super eccentric, but this wouldn't be very noticeable because he had other traits that would stand out a little bit more. Okay. Traits that would make him unliked by his coworkers. Oh. <laughs> he was known to be egotistical and had way too many opinions. So he's one of those dudes. So he does sound a lot like me. <laughs> like I kind of picture him like hanging over someone's shoulder being like, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you doing it that way? Remember that old song? Whatever you can do, I can do better. Exactly. I can do everything better than you. <laughs> I think that was Carl. And um, of course, the opinions weren't asked for. Of course not. Yeah. They never are. He was good at his job, though, I guess, and considered competent. And back then, that was a hard thing to find okay. during that time. While on the job, Carl would meet Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyas Mesa. I freaking love that. I love how long that name is. That is long. It is delightful. This would be April 22nd, 1930. What do we know about Elena? That's actually the name that she goes by, Mark, with all those names. You got to pick one. Yeah, you got to pick one. And that's a really pretty one. So she was born in Key West, Florida on July 31st, 1909. Her father was a cigar maker and her mother was a homemaker. She had two sisters, one of them older and one of them younger. The family was considered Cuban-American. She was a beautiful girl with shiny black hair, Mark. This is sounding very familiar. She had many men wanting to be with her. At the young age of 16, Elena would marry Louis Mesa. It would be 1926 at the time, and marrying young was very common in her family's culture. Louis would actually abandon his young bride, though, after she would have a miscarriage. Oh. I don't know. Maybe he thought she couldn't have babies, but I thought that was kind of not nice. Oh, I agree. I mean, who's to say? Lots of women have miscarriages and go on to have many babies. Absolutely. Not cool. Elena's mother was worried about her daughter's health after she lost her first baby. So there must have been other things going on besides just the miscarriage. She must have been having some other issues. Oh, absolutely. For this reason, she would find herself at the Marine Hospital to be examined. Elena was a local beauty in Key West. And as soon as Carl saw her, he instantly knew this was the dark haired girl that was his soulmate. The one from his dreams that he saw. Immediately. Wow. Yeah. Immediately. I mean, he couldn't have been more happy, obviously. Unfortunately, Elena would soon find out that she had tuberculosis. This disease was almost always a death sentence back at this time. 
Carl, knowing Elena was his one true love, knew he needed to make it his mission to save her life so they could live happily ever after. You're scaring me here with where this is going. What do you mean? It's the love of his life. It's the girl with the black hair, the beautiful yep. girl with the black hair. I get, I get all that. And he, it's his mission, Mark, to save her because they're meant to be together. But I also know tuberculosis at this time, like you said, was almost near fatal. So now I'm getting a little worried where you're going. He got a hospital to allow him to try his own experiments to save her life. What? Yeah. He would call these specialty treatments. (laughs) He would make elixirs, herbs, and tonics for Elena to take. He would also bring some x-ray equipment and electrical equipment to her parents' home where she was staying. While doing these life-saving experiments, he would spoil her with gifts, anything she wanted, telling her how in love he was with her. You know, because she's the one. Mm -hmm. Met her for the first time when she came in to get diagnosed with tuberculosis. Wow. Blackhead beauty. None of Carl's experimental treatments would work, Mark. You don't say, Charity. Yeah. Shocker. As Elena would lose her battle with this disease on October 25th, 1931. Beside himself with grief, Carl insisted on paying for all funeral expenses. He made sure she was fully embalmed and bought her a very expensive stone mausoleum. The family wanted to put Elena's unexpected death behind them, but things would soon get very strange. Carl was the only person with a key to the mausoleum. He would first start visiting her there every single day. But when I say visiting her, Mark, I mean he was visiting her corpse. It is said that this behavior went on for two full years. As word of this behavior spread, the hospital would fire him. How dare they? I can't believe that. I'm shocked that this is what it took. Yeah. (laughs) To get fired. I'm sure he had many HR issues before this, but this kind of just threw it over the edge, I think. I agree. Once having all this extra time, Carl decided he needed to remove the dead body from the mausoleum so that he and his love could be together again. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, it gets more wild. This would be April of 1933. He would wait until nightfall when no one would see. Sneak into the cemetery, pulling a child's wagon. Just get a please a mental picture. I, 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 my eyes are closed. Do you have it? Okay. I do. He's pulling a child's, like a radio flyer wagon. Yep. I see the red wagon going in. To go and get the deceased body, the corpse of his love of his life that he met like just once. All right, Charity, you are painting a picture. My eyes are closed. It's all there. His the eyes picture are, is made. His eyes are really closed, guys. Oh, yeah. He would put Elena's body in the wagon and wheel her to his home. Safe in the home, Carl would now go to great lengths to preserve her body and try to make her look like she did before she died. Now, guys, the corpse is two years old. Yeah. The corpse has been embalmed, but it is two years old. Stuff starts to happen to a dead body after two years in a mausoleum. I can imagine. He would use coat hangers and wire oh my God. to attach the body's bones together. Don't block your ears, Mark. You have headphones on. That doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> he literally tried to block his ears. It was awesome. <laughs> he would use glass orbs to replace her eyes. <laughs> oh, wait. And with a mixture of waxed fabric... He would mix plaster and attempt to replace her decayed skin. Yikes, guys. He like really tried here. He's going all out. Like I got to give him an A for effort. There's more. He would fill the body of the corpse with rags to keep it looking full and alive, mostly in the chest cavity. (laughs) Wanted her to look prosperous still. The hair, of course, was almost all gone. So Carl would make her a wig out of her own hair that her mother had given him at the time of her death. I'm not sure how that occurred. 
Because it didn't, I, anywhere I looked, I couldn't see why. I don't know if her hair fell out because of the disease and the mother knew how in love Carl was with her and maybe wanted to keep her hair. Did I'm, the mom not really pull into question that he didn't really know her? I think the mom was just happy that he was trying to help her get well. Think about it, right? This is freaky deaky. You'll reach for anything when you're a parent if someone's willing to make elixirs and whatever else to try to save your daughter's life. Yeah. And he he was showering with her gifts. And I think, you know, the family was thankful to that. Maybe. I don't know. I get it. Yeah. So also, Mark, he would use formaldehyde disinfectant and spray perfume on the body to try and cover the rotten smell of decay. (laughs) That's I would love. Ass- I would assume that didn't work. No, that's love. I mean, I get an A for effort, but yikes. He would then put used clothes and new clothes on her body and lay the corpse on his bed. Nice, huh? Wow. What a weirdo. Carl kept this going for hold on, guys. Hold on. I'm going to pause because I want you to wait for it. Seven years. What? Shut the door. Seven years. And as you can imagine, people were talking and spreading rumors. It was said that he was seen dancing (laughs) with a giant doll. All I can picture here right now is Tom Petty's last dance with Mary Jane or like Home Alone where he put all those things together and moved them with ropes around the kitchen. That's all. That's all that's in my head. Or Lars and the Real Girl. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not. It's actually kind of sad. He has this doll that he brings everywhere with him to coffee places and for all purposes, it's his wife. Huh. Yeah. Do you recommend I watch it? Does I it mean, get the charity seal of approval? It's not creepy. I don't. I mean, it's creepy because of the pre- like the, the reasoning for the movie, but... Yeah, I think you should watch it, Mark. Have you ever told someone to watch a movie that you know is absolutely horrible and just tell them, oh, no, you just got to watch this without looking into it? No. I've had that done to me recently, and I wanted to unfriend this person. Yeah, I get really angry when that happens. Somebody told me, hey, you got to check out this movie, but you can't look into it. It's called Tusk. It's great. Oh, my God. You've got to watch it. Did you talk about this on our Halloween live? I think I did. And then you told me the ending and I was like, shut up. That is so stupid. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Guys, if you want a good movie to watch, go watch Tusk and then let me know what you think about it. (laughs) Let's tell them that you did not think it was a good movie, though. Uh, No, let's not. Let's just say go ahead and watch Tusk and let me know what you think about it. Don't do that to our guys. So another rumor was that he was building an airplane and wanted to fly the body to the stratosphere and rejuvenate her back to life. Nothing says reality like building a uh, starship. It was also said that Carl was having sex with the corpse. (gasps) And this was confirmed later. I have questions, but I don't know if I can ask them. Yeah, I read up about how, yeah, you can ask Because like the skin went away, you said. It was said, rumored, that he put... A paper tube inside of her so he could. That doesn't even sound I don't fun. Know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. That, that kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. I, whatever. I don't know. But that, that, that's just what I read, guys. And I did a lot of research. So do not use me as law. But next time you guys are wrapping your presents and you got that tube left over, <laughs> just go ahead and think of the story. <laughs> Gross. October 1940, Elena's sister, Florinda, visited Carl's home after hearing all of these horrific rumors. She had wanted to see for herself what the heck was going on. And I don't blame her. While in his home, she spotted her sister's corpse and notified the police right away. Carl was arrested with the charge of, listen to this charge, it's very odd, wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. Shouldn't there be like more to like... I get it's illegal to take a body from a grave, but like, what about all the other crap he did to the body? I don't know if you can be charged with being just a plain old sicko, though. I mean, I don't know. What about like 
disgrace to the body or is there hasn't there been stuff like after a body's dead yeah oh there's uh, lots of things but this was also you said in the 40s that's so true that's true maybe they didn't think people were as sick back then i don't know he was quickly given a psychiatric evaluation to see if he was competent to stand trial. And he was found very competent and his trial was set to begin. Carl's trial brought in a media frenzy. You can imagine, right? Oh, yeah. I am. I am frenzied by this reading this. I can't imagine if like in the day as it was happening, how crazy this was nuts. I guarantee it. it also brought in tons of attention from curious people. Of course it did. Not understanding why someone would do this. I don't understand why he would do it. I'm intrigued, though. Mark, it was his one true love. There are. Did somebody tell him that there were other people with black hair? Nobody who didn't come to him in a dream or, or a ghost, no. Once your deceased relative shows up and tells you who you're going to be your soulmate with, you have to believe them, Mark. You didn't know that? No, no. Well, now you do. And knowing is half the battle. Absolutely. G.I. Joe. Oh, wrong <gasps> show. Sorry, guys. Yeah, a little bit. When he took the stand, he was almost proud of what he had done, explaining how much he loved her. He talked about his undying love and devotion for Elena. He also confirmed that the airplane story, guys, it was true. He was building an airplane to bring her to the stratosphere so it would rejuvenate her back to life. I gotta say, not to question this guy's ability, but he did use wax to make a body lifelike again. So who knows what his ability is? I don't know. I don't even know what to think of this, right? Because it's like you don't want to make light of it, but he didn't murder her. No, I mean, it was a tragic situation and he thought in his mind he was doing something good. I know. I don't know. In an interesting twist. Oh, there's a twist? That wasn't the twist? Nope. The statute of limitations for this crime expired and Carl was set free. What? Uh Uh-huh. That is nuts. Gets more wild before Elena's body would finally be put to rest by her family. It would be put on show at a local funeral home. Thousands of curious people would pay a dollar to view the corpse. I don't know. Maybe the family needed money to bury her or maybe they wanted everyone to see what was done to their daughter's body. Guys, this isn't a circus exhibit. Mark, I'm going to send you a picture right now and you need to look at it. Like right now. Okay. Now, please. I need the people to hear your first initial. All right. Just got it. WTF. <laughs> guys, the pit, it's her picture. <laughs> I Guys, I don't even know what to say. Don't worry guys, we'll we'll put it up. We we have to. Yeah. There's actually more than one picture. There's I mean, this is a great effort. I don't know, you think? I mean, yeah, if you like a mannequin. She kind of looks like a guy? Jason? A Jason mask? No. A little bit? Kind of. I mean, yeah. it, it is black and white, so it's not it's bizarre. But the effort is great and the eyebrows are on point. The eye- <laughs> it's not a lie. The eyebrows are on point. That is awesome. Charity, you never cease to amaze me. Carl ultimately moved to another part of Florida to quote unquote disappear. He did, though, write an autobiography called Fantastic Adventures, and it was indeed published. He also finally received American citizenship in 1950. He would die in July of 1952. His body wouldn't be found, Mark, for three years, which I found would be a little bit ironic. <laughs> that is crazy. So now his corpse was hanging out for a couple of years, a couple of three years. They put him on show after two? Um, no, but also found laying next to his body. Would you like to know? I, I need to know. A life-size replica dummy me to look as much like Elena as he could. Holy creepy. That is nuts. This was the most, I don't even have words for this. Charity, I need 
to like 10 minutes deep dive on your search history on your phone <laughs> because you scare me with the stuff you come up with. I, I can just know. imagine the stuff you don't tell me. I know. This one was wild. I mean, it was wild, but it was intriguing. And it actually happened. Like this to me is a movie. I can't believe they haven't made this into a movie. Well, they kind of did. They did Mannequin. But that's oh, the- that's it's very de- mannequin was a mannequin <laughs> that just was magical and came alive, Mark. Into a oh, real girl. man, this is great. Yep. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. This was a definite good case. Charity, good find. I hope that the people enjoy it. Guys, let us know if you did. Info at Case Watch Podcast. You can also text us or voicemail us 603-212-4600. So glad that you're around for the beginning stages of this new show, Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. We're only going to grow from here. Make sure if you have not already, I'm assuming everybody who's listening to us has come over from Case Watch True Crime Podcast, which me and Charity host. If you have not, make sure you go over there and check out that podcast as well. It's more of this. We just happen to stay more in the true crime and we don't get into the funnier cases as much as well. Correct. Awesome, guys. Thank you for hanging out with us and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, guys. See ya.